everybody and welcome back to Aligning America. I'm your host, Vincent Miller, and let's get right into things. First off, and, and quite honestly, this will be the majority of the episode, so if this isn't your thing, uh, you don't really want this detail, I'm going to go over it very briefly and then go into more detail about these picks and, and what it really means. But the biggest news in, in recent times, I mean, we've already covered Donald Trump's inability to concede, and slowly but surely people are jumping ship. Some people have vowed to go down with the ship, but we'll see how that goes for them uh, very prominently, just to go over a few very prominently. Chris Christie recently called him a national disgrace for having not conceded. Tucker Carlson recently said that while Trump and his team of lawyers argue fraud when they go into the courtroom, they don't actually argue for fraud. They just argue for benefits or in the defense of their own you know, interests, quite frankly. And so very slowly, we're seeing this thing disintegrate into what it will eventually become, which is a loss currently going one to 35 in victories versus losses for the Trump legal team. It's not looking good for them. So while I could go on to reiterate the newest and you know biggest headlines on who's jumping ship or who doesn't care anymore, or uh, quite frankly, we talk about the conspiracy theories that Rudy Giuliani brought up during his uh, press meet, which are, th- it would turn it into a comedy episode and that's not what I'm looking for. Uh, so we're just going to get into the, the really substantial stuff, which would actually be Joe Biden's picks for his cabinet. They're slowly coming out in his White House staff. So we're, we're looking at some actually influential players that could be changing policy for the next four years. So it's important that we go over who they are, what it means that they're being chosen, uh, you know, if there's anything behind what they've done or if this, you know, what what does this show the character of the White House that will be for the next four years? And it's worthwhile going into, even though a lot of these people won't be shown in popular light, uh, especially because I doubt they'll be nearly as controversial in action as some of Trump's picks. You know, you hear about Ben Carson. You, you probably won't hear about a lot of these people. So it's it's worth going over, especially as they're never going to be mentioned again. Just quickly, we've got Anthony Bilkin. We've also got Jake Sullivan, Linda Thomas, John Kerry, who you may know as you know former Secretary of State. While some of these people have a large you know name recognition like John Kerry, most of them do not, and and that benefits them because some of them have some less than admirable pasts. You have Alejandro Mayorkas and Avril Haines as some of the first in the primary picks that Joe Biden felt he was very happy to put, you know, first foot in the door with. He wants these people to be seen most likely uh, and and for good reason for at least two of them, because it'll, it'll probably appease the I'd pull section of the left that is, you know, I'm sure clamoring for Joe Biden's head right about now. Let's just jump into some of these characters and see what they're all about. So first we have Anthony Bilkin who is the new Secretary of State, will be Secretary of State. He is a well-known Biden advisor and is prolific in security circles. He's, he's known as pragmatic and supportive of international and multilateral institutions. So uh, what does this really mean in policy terms? It, it, it looks like it'll be a return to the Obama-era international diplomacy key. Uh, that, that keystone will be restored. And, and quite frankly, that's what everyone was expecting. That's what Biden ran on. He ran on re-entering, you know, the Paris Climate Accords. He he ran on reinvesting in NATO. He ran on re-entering the WHO. I mean, these are big corporate, you know, multinational and multilateral uh, international corporations that, uh, quite frankly, they do benefit. You know, these agreements do benefit the United States. And while, yes, they have a high price mark, at least for some of them, it's worth it. Because if that means you can check Chinese and Russian aggression, internationally speaking, 
That's what you need to do. Because as we've seen, when you withdraw with the America first mindset, with that very populist mindset, you're looking at an international diplomatic scene where China and Russia can quite frankly say, fantastic, this is great. And, and why do you believe that Russia and America have had such great relationship over these past four years? It's not because Donald Trump is just a nicer or more charismatic guy. Let's not kid ourselves. It's because Joe Biden and, you know, of course, Obama during his eight years as tenure, they recognize the danger of letting Vladimir Putin or Xi Jinping have free reign on international diplomacy. Now that they sit at the head of, you know, human rights boards in the U.N., that's a problem. And while the U.N. has many, many, many problems that we could go into over the course of a whole episode, this sort of you know, diplomacy from a secretary of state is a return to that level of understanding of international diplomacy. Not everything is so black and white. Not everything is about pulling the troops back to stop the endless wars, which for you know, clarification, we should. We do not belong. We are invaders in the Middle East. We need to pull out of that. But the only way we can do that without giving too much ground to Russia or China more specifically Russia in that region, though there are other regions where China has more sway, like South America, like Africa, like the Balkans. These are these are places that we need to be quite understanding of the, the geopolitical situation. And when you just pull out and say, great PR, the troops are home, because of course, everyone loves the flag, everyone loves the troops. That's the two cardinal rules of politics. If you understand the actual implications of pulling those troops out, you need to do these things with allies. You need to do these things with international support. And again, that makes it possible. Then you can have those historic wins of pulling the troops out of Iraq or Afghanistan. Th th and of course, that should be your end goal. But again, you have to do it with your allies in mind. You have to do it with international agreement in tow. Someone, you know, uh, bringing this diplomacy back to the White House is, is important. So this, this pick could be quite good. However, just to be quite frank about these things, Anthony is also known as someone who was somewhat supportive. Well, he was supportive at the time of the Iraq war and is somewhat of a quote unquote chicken hawk, which is a person who is very much in favor of war. And it is a, an insult for the record, somewhat in favor of war when it, when it is profitable, but does not care for the consequences. And once the consequences come to reap, they run. Hence the term chicken hawk, the embellishment of a war hawk, but is, is not willing to face the consequences of their actions in international diplomatic means. So, yes, his support of the Iraq war was slightly concerning. However, the principle of his you know, appointment, I, I do understand the weariness of a lot of the left who say, you know, I, I don't want someone like that in that position. There are more people uh, you know, either more qualified or with a cleaner record. But again, I think your record, while it does tend to show your character, does not it, it cannot show your true actions or, or your actions before they happen. And that makes them, of course, you know, again, I would rather have a record showing what he does believe in. Uh, and if he's made mistakes that he can atone for them, then, you know, someone who, who has no record. And while that record is then technically clean, I want to know what they may or may not do. And I'm I'm not comfortable with his position. I'm not comfortable with his positions on international diplomacy. But I am far more pleased with this than anything that Trump tenure has shown us. So not great for someone like me. But again, it is a definite improvement. Nothing inherently wrong with what he may or may do. Uh, again, we'll have to see how this, this all goes. Moving on to Jake Sullivan, National Security Advisor will be his new title. He was a former Hillary aide and an Obama era Biden advisor. And you'll notice this a lot. 
uh, Joe Biden has been known as a somewhat pragmatic, uh, somewhat friendly guy, just just all around very much into getting to know people. And he's, he's very friendly with them. So a lot of his aides will actually be in higher roles than, than generally anticipated. And that's largely because he just knows people. He's gotten to know people. And for better or for worse, these people are then going to be promoted to some of the highest offices in our country. So no, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, that's bad or good. Just saying it's rather interesting to note his his prior experience is all with with Biden and Hillary, or I, I suppose the Obama tenure and Hillary. So, again, if you liked those you know presidencies, if you were a fan of what they did and what they stood for, then you shouldn't have a problem here. But a lot of people are worried, and especially a lot of people on the far left are worried that it's just a return to the pseudo Bush style foreign policy of drone strikes, of increased action in the Middle East, of, you know, unnecessary combativeness in, in some theaters that, quite frankly, we don't need to be engaged in. Uh, and and this will be a recurring theme, but it's a lot of the same old, same old. It's a lot of what we've seen. And again, a lot of people are happy to see that because a lot of people are just tired after four years of Trump and they, they want us to return to that that state of affairs. So. If that was something that you were comfortable with, and a lot of you know polls show that a lot of Americans were, even Democrats, largely and uh, large in a way, they do want to return to pre-Trump presidential standards. They don't want to you know push into a bold new Bernie Sanders-esque vision of for America. That's not, that's not what the majority of Americans want. You could hardly say a third do. I'd like to think so because I stand with that idea. But largely speaking, you have to understand that the while Joe Biden is going into the, you know, will be going to the presidential office with a great deal of political resin, a great deal of political accountant, he is not going to be an all encompassing force. And especially not with aides like this, especially not with people who are going to be appointed to that have that the stains of Obama and Hillary all over them. It's it's not going to be a new age. It's just going to be returned to what once was. That's really, you take it or leave it, you like it or you don't, and you move on. But these people are at least tried and true, and you can expect very similar milk toast, no headline type of, of leadership for the next four years if these people are to be followed. Coming after that, we have Linda Thomas-Greenfield. Uh, she's going to be the UN's ambassador. She's, again, largely standard, largely as to be expected. Uh, international supporting, uh, multilateral supporting. Uh, she's she's about as regular as they come. She has no skeletons in the closet. I mean, not at least openly anything other than support for the Iraq war, or the crime bill, uh, which again is, is quite standard. So her record is, is largely non-remarkable. And it, it is exciting to see someone who isn't a war criminal being on the uh, anyone's cabinet. And, and she doesn't have many ties to big business. So it's nice to see someone without those ties going to the UN instead of someone who does, which is all too often. So we can safely move on to John Kerry, who has gotten the rather unceremonious and new role of climate envoy. What does climate envoy mean? Well, nobody knows. And I don't think he knows. I think he just wanted to be anywhere within the bounds of the White House because, of course, very famously, he lost uh, his presidential bid. He was secretary of state, but then again, largely unremarkable in his tenure. So nothing wrong with John Kerry. I, I don't mean to insult the man personally anyways. I don't know him in my personal life, so I, I can't drag him here. But 
he is the epitome of establishment Democrat. He is the Tom Perez of elected officials, or I suppose non-elected officials. Sorry, John. But he is just largely an old white man, a dinosaur, much like Biden, who will do very little. Uh, Though in this new position, we can see how far he can push it. Because if it's true that he wants to make a name for himself and he's, you know, outwardly ambitious, you could see some exciting things. As the climate czar, as people are, are now dubbing him, he could be changing things for the better. I'm sure he will, internationally speaking, re-enter the Paris Climate Accords. I think he tweeted about that himself, uh, affirming that he would be the one to mandate for it. So good on him. But for the most part, I think he'll simply serve as a centrist ally in the Biden administration and... As I'm expecting, later and later on in the transition team's announcements, we will see more progressive people put into places of power. And I think those people are are going to scare the large majority of the population. And I I don't think they're the ones that they want to be seen on the the first round of of people announced. So with people like John Kerry there to balance it out, even in, you know, toothless uh, places of of no power, I think that's exactly where they they, what they want to show. They want to show the while toothless, no, you know, all all bark, no bite. He is a centrist and a moderate and someone with large name recognition that a lot of Republicans would be able to get down with. He's he's a, a very agreeable guy for centrists, Republicans and center left Democrats. So, again, it's just it, it's good to pad the numbers. The Biden administration obviously wants to make themselves look centrist. And so tapping people like John Kerry, even for non-important roles, is a good idea if that's the strategy they're going for. Moving on to someone who is very much not necessarily a centrist ally, you have someone like Alejandro Mayorkas. He is a, or will be, the Department of Homeland Security, the, the chief and head of the Department of Homeland Security. And you'll notice his name is remarkably Hispanic for someone of that position, uh, very famously has, has been held by white people for the entirety of its existence. He'll be the very first Hispanic department head, and he's actually an immigrant, which is quite remarkable. Uh, you look at pictures of this guy, and no offense, he definitely has some very Caucasian features, but from a, a literal sense, he actually immigrated from Cuba as a child, uh, making him the first immigrant to hold this position. So not only is he Hispanic, but he is a an, an immigrant to boot, and If you want to go from a logical and somewhat pragmatic standpoint, it does make sense that you would have an actual immigrant as the head of Homeland Security. From a literal sense, it's somewhat intuitive to have an immigrant run that very department. So it's one of those things where, yeah, I understand that it is almost certainly, you know, the, the having anyone be appointed as the first of any identity level, you know, a woman, an African American, a Hispanic, any member of any identity group that isn't white and male is generally a first, which is a shame for the record. That's rather depressing that he is the first Hispanic head of the Department of Homeland Security. But with that said, it also is obviously somewhat catering to the far left as some sort of appeasement tactic. And I think, yes, it does somewhat scare the right and the centrists, but You'll notice I haven't mentioned his background. He is a staunch Biden ally, is somewhat conservative, is pretty conservative on immigration. So it's not like policy wise we'll see any sweeping changes. This is really all just for show, which is kind of how the centrist Democrats do things. So it is a concession to the left, no doubt. 
but it's it's kind of a meaningless concession because I think it's understand by both groups that you know it's it's not you know it, it doesn't actually really mean much. So yes, it, you could you can consider it a shallow or pyrrhic victory, but it it is what it is, and it's another Biden ally to replace a sporadic, I think acting head of Homeland Security. I don't believe they actually have a, a Homeland Department of the Homeland Security. I believe they have an acting one. I think Chad Wolf. I, I can't remember if he's arrested or not, quite frankly. So I couldn't tell you who's who's running it now. But all things considered, a much more stable pick and, and probably the one who will last for a, a full four years, which will be refreshing. Lots less names to remember. Moving on then to our last pick, we have Avril Haines, who is now going to be the director of national intelligence. She would be the first female head of this position. Again, not much to say. Very much an appeasement tactic. Oh, boy. Now we have a woman running the world's largest undercover spy agency. Wonderful. I mean, not not to belittle the point, but it, it is very much toothless and not to be pessimistic, but it's not like much will change. The, the department will still run as the part the department normally does. You're not looking at any sweeping reforms just because she's a woman. So, again, Biden allies placed in all uh, all parts of the structure. We're looking at very, very standard procedures, quite frankly, for a centrist Democrat. We're not seeing anything big and sweeping like a 2008 Obama. So nothing to get your hopes up about if you're on the far left and certainly nothing to be scared about if you're on the far right. I mean, it's it's not like there's any, you know, people were joking and we'll get in this just a bit. People were joking that you'd have Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders somewhere in the cabinet. That's not the case. There's no way. So don't, you know, don't worry. There is no socialism coming in 2020. And I, I think that's why it, you know, this just proves the fact that Donald Trump's strategy of the socialism scare tactic really didn't work because it, it really couldn't have. Uh, you know, it only works as, as far as the gaslighting will take you. And uh, w- once that light goes out, there's nothing there to shine. So it it's all, quite frankly, to be expected and very standard, very milquetoast at, on the whole. So what does this mean for progressives? What does it mean for centrists? And what does it mean for Republicans, right? Right-leaning uh, members of the American country. So let's just go over it from right to left, because that's that's quite easily uh, the most palatable here. The GOP had assumed the cabinet of the worst, of course. And in fact, there was an, an infographic spreading around and it was actually shown on Fox of what the right assumed the, the dream cabinet would be for, you know, the left wing progressive part of the party what Biden was going to pick. They had such picks as Ilhan Omar for Secretary of Homeland Security. Not so subtle, very subtle bigotry at the fact that, yes, she's Islamic. Being Muslim would definitely make her a horrifying pick for security, national security, especially for the party of of bigotry. So, uh, yeah, surprising, I'm sure. Uh, Rashida Tlaib, the Department of Justice. Oh, no, another member of the squad. That's quite horrifying. Warren for Treasury Secretary. I actually find this one pretty funny. Um, because, of course, she was the one about big taxing, big, you know, secretary, you know, that that would make sense. I, I get that boogeyman. Uh, Bernie Sanders for secretary of defense. This one's lost on me, quite frankly, because I don't think he has any experience in this field, uh, nor did he have any real stance. He was actually anti-war. So this seems pretty in line with the Republican Party. Not sure what's up with that one. And then very oddly on Fox News, they had Andrew Yang as the transportation secretary, which Again, I don't really see the overlap. I don't I don't remember during his campaign if he had anything to do with a, you know, large transportation changes, but uh, here we are. He does seem pretty scary. I suppose he's, you know, 
of, of Taiwanese heritage. That's pretty horrifying to them. But all things considered, nothing, you know, to the standard GOP, that, that didn't happen. I hate to break it to you guys. At least not yet, of course. There's, you know, always time. Uh, and there could always be replacements. But I, I don't see it happening. And I don't think uh, they were being very sincere when they made the graphic. But it's fun to look at. And it's it's quite honestly a shame because most progressives would look at that and cry because that's exactly what they want. Uh, and of course, they wouldn't get it because it's Joe Biden, of all people, as the president. So again, I think it's a lot of fear mongering. I think on the right, there was a lot of fear mongering that, of course, the picks would be very, you know, left skewed. But that's just not the case. If you're a right wing member and, and hopefully someone who has the common sense and the wherewithal to understand that, yes, Trump lost. So you, you do actually have to deal with the ramifications of the Biden presidency, which, of course, polls show only about 30 percent of the Republican Party or the former Republican Party are able to understand, which is horrifying in its own right. And of course, we covered that last episode. But if you do understand that Joe Biden is going to be the president, and you do understand these picks have weight. You shouldn't be scared. As we talked about, these are all centrist Biden allies who aren't going to do anything insane. Again, if you're moving, you know, as a centrist, what do you look at? This is your dream. This is exactly what you planned on. This is what it's all about. <laughs> People who aren't going to change anything. We're going back to 2016. It's almost as if Hillary won. You can forget the last four years. And most likely, if you are that centrist, you probably have a comfortable living situation, or at least you had a comfortable living situation pre-2016. You know, so you want to return to that better time. And that's why Biden's pitch worked for you, probably. So there's really nothing to be surprised about. Um, and and I, I'm sure, you know, I'm happy for you. I'm sure this is exactly what you wanted to see. And as a progressive, well, you're disappointed. And uh, so am I. But that's sort of to be expected. That was the pitch that Joe Biden made. And I think everyone understood that. That's why very famously a, a Twitter accounts and social media accounts like Settle for Biden, which was a Biden endorsed campaign, uh, you know, made the pitch to progressives saying, you know, this isn't Bernie Sanders and you need to know that. But at the same time, it's better than Trump. And I think a lot of people, especially with Trump's refusal to admit defeat here, can agree upon. And I, I hope you can all rally behind that thought that at least we have an undemocratic, a democratically elected, but a naturally undemocratic leader out of the White House, which is a win for the American people at the very baseline. So, yes, it is some semblance of a success for progressives, though the policy changes that they're looking for are likely not to happen in this next four years. You may have to wait unless Kamala Harris can make some real changes and some some incredible pressure put onto the president who, you know, quite frankly, I don't think will bend. But if if he does to her, that's that's great news for progressives, because, of course, she championed a two thousand dollar relief over every month for the remainder of the pandemic, which would be phenomenal and is a very excellent way to show the efficacy of something like universal basic income, because I've always famously thought that and, and many other people have as well. You give someone a benefit, they don't want it taken away. You give someone money monthly. I don't think even as the pandemic ends, anything would change. I think they would still expect it and want it and realize that it is a viable and very efficient way to balance inequality and revive the economy. And you could even pitch it as a decrease back to 1000 a month and then start funding it with a VAT, which would be exactly as Andrew Yang had envisioned. But I imagine, just personally speaking, that it's going to take another 10 to 20 years before we see that sort of policy implemented in the United States. Uh, so progressives, yes, stay sad. It is a sad day for that wing of the party. 
And like I prophesized before the election, and I stand by the thought that even as this presidency goes on with ranked choice voting getting more and more popular, and we're seeing it in more and more states, even if it is a slow climb to a national level, you know, the more the minority grows, the louder they will be. And pretty soon, I do truly believe we will have ranked choice voting in every state and we will see the disintegration of national parties, uh, at least the largest ones. It will no longer be a duopoly. And uh, th that, quite frankly, is is democracy at its finest. So progressives, you know, it is a long struggle, but I do believe it, it can happen and I do believe changes will come. So, yes, we can look forward to more Joe Biden picks in his cabinet and Kamala Harris picks. And I imagine she she'll have some influence in those picks. Uh, we're looking for that. And, you know, maybe she will do the right thing. I know she has a checkered past, but there's a possibility. Uh, so keep hoping that that's that's all you got to say about for the progressives. So in recap, of course, Joe Biden pick who Joe Biden was going to pick and everyone knew it. Uh, and, and no real substantial changes may come of these picks. But, of course, there were small concessions here or there, both to the right and the left, noted that some of these people are, are far more right-wing than Obama would have picked. So, it, you know, altogether, it's a centrist. He's a centrist. That's who he was, that's who he is, and that's who he's going to be for these next four years. So you can look forward to more and more of that. The same old, same old. listening through to the end we'd really appreciate it if you check us out at aligning america on instagram and twitter and if you really enjoyed it and want more content like this be sure to head over to our patreon to ensure we can keep putting out episodes changing hearts and minds one podcast at a time thank you